Hello, and welcome to The Goldmine, where you can find new investment insights from your favorite financial writers every day. I'm Barry Ritholtz, and this is How Everybody Miscalculated Housing Demand. Why are there too few houses in general and too few for sale? The pandemic has revealed a demand-supply imbalance in the housing market, but the reasons are far less obvious than assumed. Sure, the pandemic sent lots of urbanites out looking for a place in the burbs or a vacation property where they could work from home, but the underlying structural conditions for a massive supply shock, that was decades in the making. Let's review the chronology of how we got to our improving but still short supply of homes. There's a 20-year chart nearby that shows the ratio of houses for sale to houses sold. It's not ideal, but it'll do for our purposes. And when you look at this, you can see how each decade had something new in store for real estate. Let's start with the 1980s. The 80s economic recovery saw jobs available and inflation moderating. It was still early days in the epic 40-year collapse of rates and early days in the just-as-epic stock bull market. The trade-off for Reagan's lowered tax rates was the elimination of a huge amount of tax loopholes that had previously favored real estate development. Single-family home building was solid. Co-op conversions in cities and condo construction were getting underway in earnest. Prices peaked somewhere around 1989. When the calendar flipped and returned to the 90s, real estate prices dipped a bit in the face of economic headwinds. Meanwhile, the stock market was heating up in earnest. The boom attracted more and more investors. Bond market continued to rally, sending rates lower. New home construction trended higher. I have a very vivid recollection from the late 1990s. Individual stock investors decided to just take a little money off the table and trade up either to a bigger house or a nicer neighborhood or buy that vacation home by the water. Somewhere around 1998-ish, New York City had recovered and surpassed its prior condo peak. Then came the 2000s, before the great financial crisis. We had the dot-com boom and bust. Stock market crashed. Dot-coms imploded and the tech-heavy Nasdaq collapsed 81%. The Fed cut rates to 2%, then 1%. Salaries had been lagging for a long time as education and healthcare costs soared. The salaries that lagged were especially in the lower half of the economic income distribution, and people are reluctant to lower their standard of living. So rather than accept the fact that their wages simply aren't keeping up, they turn to mortgage equity withdrawal, or MU as it's known, as a substitute for wage gains. This was an important factor leading up to the great financial crisis. During this period, anyone and everyone could qualify for a no-doc ninja mortgage. Ninja stands for no income, no job, no assets. In response, home builders massively ramped up production, far above any level seen over the previous 40 years. Then came the great financial crisis, and the end of 2000s saw a horrific hangover. New home construction collapsed. It grinded to a halt. Builders shifted to multifamily and apartment buildings, but stayed away from single-family homes. It takes more than a decade for new single-family home construction and sales to return to their pre-boom average. Post-GFC, household formation is weak. 
Fewer young people are getting married or starting families or buying homes. No one seems to notice that there's been a substantial increase in the population over the past decade. Marriages that were delayed and postponed, that's just future home buyers. The 2010s saw rates continue downwards. The Fed made a half-hearted attempt to get off its emergency footing, but at the first sign of trouble, quickly cut rates again. Home sales improve gradually. Modest amounts of new supply gets built. But beneath the surface, this massive imbalance is developing. By 2013, the stock market begins to make new all-time highs again, surpassing the peak set in 2000 and late 2007. The college class of 2009 and 2010, those who graduated post-GFC, they start finding better jobs. They move out of their parents' basements. They start to get serious. Yeah, sure, ironically, they pretend not to be interested in material goods like houses, but that's only because they don't know yet. This changes eventually. Then comes the 2020s. The pandemic sends everybody scrambling, but it also leads to a year of forced lockdown savings. Yay, we now all have down payments, say the millennial generation. Everyone understood the value of owning your own space. Hey, I don't need an elevator or a lobby or a common place where I could get sick. I want my own house where I could get food delivered directly to me and not interact with the rest of the infectious world. At least that seemed to be what people were thinking. Demand for suburban space soared. There were very few new homes for sale and not a lot of existing homes either. Besides, who wants to move in the middle of a pandemic? And the eviction moratorium, well, that probably kept thousands, if not millions, of potential units for sale off of the market. So all of this stuff is very obvious in hindsight. The delay in household formation, the lagging new home construction, the appreciation for your own space, all this came together to reveal what was really a structural shortage of single-family homes. That's before we even discuss NIMBY and excessive regulations and land use constraints that have reduced the amount of available land to build on. So today we see more new supply coming online. More owners are recognizing the opportunity of high prices. Maybe people who are thinking about retiring in a few years see these current prices and decide to sell and relocate to cheaper parts of the country where they retire. Around the Northeast, that means places like the Carolinas or Florida. And the low rates, they seem to be sticking. That helps anybody purchase a home, even if the prices have gone up over the past couple of years. Eventually, supply catches up with demand. This is why traders love to say the cure for high prices is high prices. For more from me, check out The Big Picture at Ritholtz.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is brought to you by Ritholtz Wealth Management. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities mentioned on this podcast. If you're new to investing, check out liftoffinvest.com to get started with us today. Solid.